0: I think it's actually it's part of the culture that we live in. You know that people struggle relationally, especially with conflict, especially with confrontation, uh, and especially with working things through uh, over the long over the long haul. And people are very quick to burn their bridges uh, if they're not in a culture which accepts them for the way they are or like-minded people that think the same way. And suddenly that creeps into the church as well, when we sometimes struggle to work things through relationally. Um, But in the kingdom, uh, we are actually a reflection of Christ. And one of the things God wants to form in us as his children is an ability to love one another and build strong relationships, beautiful relationships that actually reflect the nature of Jesus himself. Um, and, and so, um, Jesus is long-suffering. He, he's, um, he's patient. He's gracious. He's all of these things that, as we grow in knowing Jesus, he forms these things in us. And it needs to happen. He needs to form these things in us so that we can reflect his beautiful nature. Jesus is not only king, he's actually a really nice guy also. He's a really good we were singing about, it. Wilkina was singing a beautiful song about his faithfulness. About, and, and the more you know him, the more you know him to be a faithful friend. And I'm so glad that he's a, he's a patient, long-suffering, faithful friend. Aren't you? He's a good shepherd that keeps going after his lost sheep. And when we read the Bible, it's easy to think that the lost sheep refers to somebody else. But usually, eventually, that, that'll be you. You will at some point in life be the one naughty lamb that went to that Jesus patiently went and found and brought back. He's he's incredibly faithful in pursuing us. And he wants us to be those kind of people to one another. Amen? And so, um, in the world, relationships are actually quite cheap. People have things that they prioritize and value. And unfortunately, relationships still... ...the most precious thing that we have. In fact, relationships are the only thing that we will take with us from this world. Our relationship with Christ, most precious thing we have, our relationship with one another, often get excited and a little bit disturbed by the fact that I'm going to know you guys for all eternity. (laughs) There is something very cool about that and quite scary. I mean, I love you guys, but from my grasp of eternity, that seems like quite a long time. I value my friendship with you, Cam, and we will enjoy our friendship for all eternity. Cam looks forward to it. I do too. But in the kingdom, relationships are the most precious thing we have. And, and so we need to get good at loving one another, and working through our relationships uh, in the light of of how precious they are. What I I will also say, we're going to be going through 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. This is our main main text, which is all about love. What is love? What does Jesus' love look like? And what do relationships look like in the kingdom? And it's a beautiful passage, but what's interesting is the passage starts by talking about things which Christians... Highly respect and place a high premium on, which are actually not that important to Jesus. Uh, maybe you could put that that's, I don 't actually think it's on the slide. Let me read it, a couple of other things it mentions. It says, it says, "If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. now if you are charismatic, man, that's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a weighty gift. Can fathom all mysteries. All knowledge. That's a very strong prophetic gift. In charismatic circles, the gift of prophecy is... If you're very, very gifted in prophecy, you're an important person in the church, right? It's what It, it, it highlights that. It says, if you've got faith that can move mountains... Now, obviously, as Christians, we value faith. If someone's got a really, really strong faith, we can, we can measure that as maturity, that they're very mature in the Lord because they have a very strong faith. I mean, if you could move a mountain... Look, you've, if you've got any word on your heart to share with us next Sunday, I mean, we'd lo- we would love to hear it. You know, you must be quite a heavy hitter in the kingdom. It talks about giving all I have away to the poor, even sacrificing my body to the flames as a martyr. I mean, these are the kinds of things in church. Look, look if somebody can do these things, they must be incredibly mature in the Lord, right? I mean, that's one way of measuring maturity in the Lord. But the Bible actually says, even if you can do all of these things, but you don't know how to love your brother well, you've got nothing. You've got nothing. And I say that because we can easily measure our maturity in the Lord using the wrong standard. How you love your brother is a reflection of how much Jesus has been formed in you, which is a measure of true maturity in the Lord. Amen? And so there's this false uh, understanding In the world that you can love God, but not love community and love and be good at relationships and be good at loving people. And that's okay, but it isn't okay. Actually, the Bible says you can't actually say you love God, but don't love your brother. There's no such uh, love that actually exists in the kingdom. So it's quite a serious deal. The other thing I'll mention is that this particular area, I've seen more people leave Christ because of relational fallout than any other reason. I'm not saying the Bible says that. I'm just saying my experience as a pastor, I've seen more, more people walk away from Jesus because of a fallout they had with a friend or with the church or relationships in the church than any other reason. There are other reasons. I'm just saying this one is a big one. And so learning to love well is one of the main way of thinking about it because Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He doesn't, and so these are the characteristics of Christ Himself. And so, for every one of these characteristics, you can, if you think of a good example, you'll you'll inevitably go to Jesus. And something Jesus said, something Jesus did, Um, just like we were singing about the patience of Jesus, his faithfulness. He he exemplifies every one of these characteristics. But I want to group them together. The first grouping you can put up the next one is that love is gracious. Love is gracious. And some of the attributes in that particular passage that demonstrate a gracious attitude is that love is patient, it's kind, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And in our relationships with one another, grace should define our relationship. Now, what is grace? Gracious comes from the word grace. Grace means, so to be gracious, or to be, to be motivated by grace means the opposite of giving people or your friend or your person that you're in relationship with. It's the opposite of giving them what they deserve. Grace is contrasted with law. Law has got to do with rewarding good behavior and punishing bad behavior. That's law. Grace is going far beyond what a person deserves. Does that make sense? And so in all of these attributes, it's, it's giving undeserved favor. It's extending mercy. It's, it's, it's actually not giving people what they deserve, but, but loving them despite what they deserve. And it starts, obviously, with, with Jesus. And graciousness is, is often tied to forgiveness in Scripture. And so In every relationship, there will come a point when you ask Jesus, Lord, how far is too far? I guarantee you, there will come a point in any relationship. Lord, they've done this to me. They've done that to me. They've disappointed me this time. They've disappointed. How many more times do you require me, Lord, to keep giving this relationship a go? And funny enough, Peter asked that exact question. (laughs) Uh, you can put up the next slide. Peter, Peter phrased it like this. Uh, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? He went further and actually put a number to it. Uh, up to seven times? <laughs> uh, the context here is not seven times per day. It's like seven times in a lifetime, just for context. That's quite a big discrepancy, Right. And, and Peter was actually being very generous here, because the, the rabbis of the time, they taught, when they were asked, how many times must I forgive my brother, they said, three times is more than enough. Three strikes, you're out. Somebody comes to you and says, look, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I've disappointed you, I, I said I was going to do this and I've done that, please forgive me. You could say, okay, cool, strike one. It's, you've done it once, okay. It's first time, first time offender, we'll be lenient. Second time, whoa, twice, same thing. You, you're skating on thin ice right now because we all know what the rabbi said: three times, done, and then you were no longer obliged to extend grace after three strikes. Peter goes way above and beyond, Lord, up to seven times, <laughs> and I, and and Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. And there's different interpretations of 70 times seven or 77 times seven. But the point, we we all get the point, right? It's like as many times as it takes. And then Jesus tells the story, that very famous story of the servant. I won't read it. I'll just tell you the story of a servant who has a debt uh, to the king. And the Bible says that the debt that he owed the king you know, it gets a little bit lost in translation because it's 10,000 talents, right? His debt is 10,000 talents. And what the heck does that mean? It sounds like a lot, right? Well, depending on who you ask, it, it's somewhere between $12 million and $1 billion. Dollars. So when you thought that sounds like a lot, you were, you were right on the money, like that, that is a lot. Lo- imagine you owe somebody $1 billion. Basically, you're sunk. That's essentially what it's saying. It, it's, you, there's, no, there's no ways you're going to ever pay this back. There, there's no debt repayment plan, or the, there's nothing. You, you're sunk. You, you're done. And the king graciously cancels his debt because he's merciful. And then the story goes on that that same person who had a debt of $1 billion cancelled goes and finds somebody and it sounds like in the story it's quite shortly thereafter who owes him 100 pieces of silver sounds like a lot look i mean it's not to be sneezed at it's about 20000 rand somebody owes you 20000 rand i mean i mean it is fairly serious i mean they might be able to pay it back in one lifetime but it's it's a lot of money And it says, he grabs the person by the throat and starts throttling them to death and says, Pay back what you owe me! (laughs) Which sounds very dramatic. But I think the point that Jesus is trying to make here is when people do you wrong, it is painful. It is serious. Like, that wasn't right. You need to pay back what you owe me, right? So he's not diminishing the fact that you got hurt, that you were disappointed, that you were frustrated. But he's contextualizing that in the light of the debt that you had that was canceled, it's a small amount of money. Yes, it's serious, but in the light of what you've been forgiven. Now, this is, for me, very important in our relationship with one another. I don't think you can be gracious until you fully appreciate what Jesus has done for you and for me. And this, for me, I find Christians struggle with this a little bit. You know, I struggled with it. When I first got saved, I wasn't—I didn't have this testimony on a Sunday, you know, like I used to be a drug dealer that killed people, and thank you, Jesus, he saved me, and here I am, and I'm a good guy now. I didn't have a testimony like that. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents were pastors. Look, I mean, I'm a sinful person, but I mean, like, you know, it's all relative, right? I mean... So, so actually, if I'm honest with you, when I used to hear preachers say, you know, if Jesus died on the cross, he would have died just for you because your sin is so serious that it required require Jesus going to the cross and being killed, suffering the full wrath of God poured out on him for you. I struggled with that, to be honest. I mean, you all know one day. I did struggle with that. I was like, Ew. look, I mean, I'm a sinner, but that sounds quite extreme, you know. But one of the things that God will do in you, and I know this because He's done it in me, is the more you serve Jesus, the more God will show you the state of your heart. So, you know, sometimes I just want to cry when I see what's in my heart. I'm like, Lord, I mean, I've been saved for like 20 years. Why is this still in me? Like, why do I think these things? Why do I feel these things? It's, it's horrible, Lord. And the Bible speaks about grieving and mourning our own sin. And I actually do that. I'm the, I used to be unaware of what's in my heart. Now the Lord has shown me, and I'll tell you what. Like, he needed to, Jesus needed to die on the cross just for me. Never mind you guys. I'm glad he died for you too. But if it was just for me, it needed to be that extreme. Because I'm sinful, man. I am. And so when, I, when you sin against me, when you offend me, when you disappoint me, yes, it's hurtful, yes, it's painful. But, but I see that in the context of, but she said, I'm also a rotten sinner. You know, it's not hard for me to be gracious to you because I, I need, she's, I'm going to be offending you soon. Whenever I do a sermon like this, I always say, you know, go to somebody afterwards and make right with, the, with them because, they, you know, if you've got something in your heart against someone and they've done something wrong to you, then you need to go and make right. Do you know how long the line is next to me after a sermon like that? My line's going to be the longest. All the people that I've hurt and, and, and disappointed and frustrated, and it's usually like there's some something in there that's true. And I'm the pastor. And so we extend grace because we have received grace. And if you are ungracious to people, maybe you need a revelation again of just how much Jesus forgives you, not just when you got saved, but every single day. The Lord's Prayer, Lord, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who sin against me. I need grace as much as you do. It's interesting, you know, Jesus told so many stories talking about hypocrisy. You know, the one with the plank. You know, you want to correct your brother because of the sin in their life. And he's like, yeah, but first take the plank out of your eye. You know, it's hard to see a plank in your eye because if you do this, it doesn't seem like there's anything in front of your eye, right? Because you can still see with the other one. But, but sin is like that. It's much easier to see in other people than it is in your own life. Amen? So we're we called in our relationships to be gracious. One of the things that this means is when you bring correction, and we do have to bring correction. The Bible says when your brother sins. You need to go and show him his fault. But when we bring correction, maybe you can put that verse up. This is how we do it. James chapter 1, verse 19. My brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Practically, what that means is when you bring a correction to someone, don't do it when you're angry. Because you can't be gracious when you're angry. Even if what you're saying is true, if you do it in a way that's ungracious, you're not representing Christ because you're doing it in anger. And, in, and human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There's a difference between reacting to what someone has done and speaking from a place of high emotion and responding to what someone's done, which means you do need to do something about it. But you need to make sure you're calm first, that you've brought this before the Lord first. That you've taken the plank out of your own eye first and then be slow to speak. But when you do speak, you do it in a a spirit of redemption, in a spirit of grace and humility. And it needs to be done in humility because oftentimes it's at least half your fault. And how do I know that? Because we do quite a bit of marriage counseling. (laughs) And it's almost always at least half your fault. But it's harder to see your own fault than what's so obviously sinful in the other person. Does that make sense? Slow to, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Love keeps no record of, of wrongs. That means, this is an important verse. When it says keeps no record of wrong, that doesn't mean we don't speak about things that are done wrong. But I believe that this is speaking about two things. Number one is those people who are conflict averse. Some of us love conflict, we love confronting people, it's, it makes us feel. Close, like everything's in the light. Some of us are very conflict-averse. We live in a conflict-averse culture, actually. I think um, people rather ignore you than confront you. True, blue ticks. That'll teach him. I won't do that again. <laughs> but what what happens is if you don't confront, you harbour it in your heart. And the relationship goes on, and time goes on, and stuff accumulates in my heart. And we are keeping a record in our heart, even though we're not speaking to the person about it. And eventually, you get your snapping point, and you just snap. It's like, and then it starts like this: You always whatever you say after that is not going to be helpful, right? Because you're now keeping a record of wrong. It's not just this one thing that you did that I found very unhelpful and hurtful. It's like, no, no, you always. So if you conflict a verse, be careful. If you've chosen not to confront the person, not to speak about it, then you need to forgive and forget. Right? And then once you have spoken it and worked it through in a godly, redemptive way, once you've reconciled, then you must forgive and forget. And then you move on. Does that make sense? So there's a word of, to both people who like conflict and people who don't like conflict is, uh, is that we don't keep a record of wrong. Once it's been properly dealt with, it's gone. Don't keep bringing it up, amen. The other points are going to be very quick. I really felt like this specific passage on, like, on graciousness is what God wants to speak into us. Love is love is generous. So I said, love is gracious. Love is generous. Love is generous. The passage that it speaks, you can put that note in the next one. Uh, love is generous. It says not self-seeking. It's not jealous or envious. Love. Greater love is no one than this, and he laid down his life for his friends. Can I just say to you, don't wait for people to do good to you before you do good to them? Can I say, especially when it comes to friendships? In church, people are often, often waiting for people to do good to you, include you, invite you, celebrate you, honor you before I do the. But if everyone waits, then you've got a Mexican standoff, right? I don't wait for you to do good to me. I don't wait for you to reach out to me. Jesus doesn't wait for you to reach out to him. He reaches out to you first. Keep giving your heart. Keep inviting. Keep including. Keep loving. Keep blessing. Keep celebrating one another. Celebrating your victories is the opposite of envy. Amen? Man, when you do well, I celebrate. I honor. I bless you. I'm not jealous of you. We're We're not competing. When you win, I win. When you're doing well, I'm doing well. That's the heart of Jesus. Number three, love is humble. I said I'd give you three G's. So I'm going to refer to number one, love is gracious, right? H is very close to G. It's like one letter apart. So let's just extend a little grace. I couldn't find a G for humble. Love is humble. You can put that. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude or dishonoring. Love is humble. Why do I say this is important? If you've got arrogance and pride in your heart, it actually pollutes love. How do I know this? Have you ever had a friendship with somebody that thinks they're better than you? They may not say it, but it just pollutes the friendship. It's a, no one likes to be patronized, right? And the, and, and, the, and the truth of it is it isn't true. You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. We are all servants of Christ. We're brothers and sisters. There's nothing that I can do That's going to make me better than you. We are all children of of God here. And so humility is just recognizing the truth. And so in humility, we love one another. And then the last point is that love is, now I have got a G here, but I'm going to stretch it a little bit. So give me grace. Love is gritty. The word I was trying to use there is resilient, but G is, that's the, the closest I could get a G. Love is gritty. There's a picture there of somebody kicking somebody in the face. Let me give context for that. My daughter, Namila, has got a beautiful friendship with Joyce. And it's a gritty kind of love. Because uh, there's been a lot of punched faces for some reason. uh, At the risk of exposing her too much, the one day she came home recently and she had a big shiner right under her eye over here. And I said, Namila, what on earth happened to your face? So she said... Now Joyce kicked me in the face. I was like, you said that so casually. Like, could you give context? Like, what, what were you doing? Like, no, we were jumping on the trampoline, and then Joyce kicked me in the face. But we spoke about it, and we're all good now. Okay? And it's become proverbial in our household ever since. You know what? For every true friendship, it's not a true friendship until you've been kicked in the face. Amen? If we think about the love of Christ towards us. Man, it's, it's a gritty kind of love, right? Amen? Like persevering love. How many times he could have rejected us, held our sins against us, said that's enough, three strikes, you're out. But true love fights for unity. It will go to any extent to reconcile, to make peace, To speak things through until there's love and harmony. It says, uh, love always trusts. That means believes the best. That's the opposite of being jaded and, and cynical. Which is the natural tendency when you lived on this earth for a long time. Is to be jaded and cynical. Love chooses to trust. Again and again. Love does not delight in evil. Love hopes. Love always perseveres. Love... Pushes through again and again and again. Forgives again and again and again. Steps towards again and again. Gives my heart again and again. For me, this is one of the hardest things about being in church. Is to choose again and again. To keep my heart soft. To love. To give of myself. When I say give of my heart, myself, I don't just mean to come to church together on a Sunday. I mean like, love you. Accept you. Trust you. Believe the best of you. Include you in my life. Share the stuff that's going on in my life that's hard to share because you could turn and use it against me. But it is the love of Jesus. And that's what genuine kingdom relationships are all about. Amen? So I want to just close. We want to break bread together just now. And the reason why we want to break bread together is because it's the one symbol, it's one thing that Jesus gave us to do to remind us of what he's done. It's a memorial. Jesus died on the cross. He, he, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. But I feel the picture that for us this morning is that as Christ gave himself to us, we would give ourselves to one another. And It is messy. Anyone that tells you differently is lying. It's messy because I'm messy. It's messy because you're messy. We are all humans. We do silly things. We disappoint. We frustrate. Sometimes we do it repeatedly. But we're growing in grace. And so we keep giving our hearts and our lives to one another. Amen? Do you feel like the Lord wants to do some surgery in our hearts this morning? But if we want to grow in maturity, this is how we grow. You can move mountains, you can prophesy, you can do all of these spiritual things. But if you can't love in community, in genuine relationship, you're still very, very young in the faith. And you've got a long way to grow. So let's just close eyes. Lord, thank you for community. Thank you for friendships. Thank you for relationships. Thank you for family. And Lord, we we celebrate this church family. Thank you for adding us here. Thank you for giving us mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And Lord, we thank you for what we have, but we know there's still a lot more you want to do in us, Lord. We, we, we are a glorious reflection of you, but you want us to go from one degree of glory to the next so that the world would see what we have and marvel at the beauty of it and want to be a part of it. Lord, we just want to acknowledge. Yes, we may have been hurt by others, but we are sinful ourselves. Lord, may we extend the grace that we've received. Just felt like, if you, and I know this is a a, a touchy thing, but if you, you you'll know as I'm speaking, if you feel like you've actually withdrawn your heart from people, because of hurt or disappointment or frustration. I really feel like the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart this morning and saying, I want you to be brave. I want you to give your heart as Jesus gave his. Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. We're not enemies here, but sometimes it can be hard, and he wants you to give your heart. If you feel like, so that's the first thing, if you feel like You've actually become ungracious. Maybe you were gracious at one stage, but you've become ungracious in your relationship. You've actually maybe forgotten God's mercy towards you and you're feeling challenged this morning. I feel like the Lord wants you to do business as well. And then the last thing I will say is, if you are here this morning and you actually don't know the love of God, because you've not yet been adopted into the family of God. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave Jesus. Jesus came into the world because he's the gift of God, and Jesus came to show us the way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you desperately need to experience the love of God, It's through Christ. He's the only way that you'll experience the love of God. Jesus demonstrates the love of God perfectly. And there is a response that God requires of you if you want to be included in his family and experience his love, to go from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. It's through Christ. So that if if that is you this morning, I would love to lead you in a prayer of faith and repentance in which... You actually come to God through Christ. If you're here and you know you need that this morning, you need to be made right. You need your sins forgiven. You need to come in to right relationship with God. You've been running away from Him. You've been living your own life. I'd love to pray with you. The Bible says we confess before men, we believe in our heart towards God, and then we will be saved. If that is you, don't you want to just slip up your hand with every eye closed. Just slip up your hand where you are. And I would love to pray with you. I won't pray for you. I'll pray with you. I'll lead you in a prayer of repentance and faith. Is anyone like that? Wonderful. I see your hand. Wonderful. Wonderful. I see your hand. Anyone else? Wonderful. Wonderful. I would just love to get someone that I trust, one of the leaders, to just come alongside you and pray with you. Maybe if I can just ask uh, Shawnee, would you pray with this lady? here? Just wherever you are, if you're with your hand raised. Lucas, would you pray with this, with this man? Kelly, would you pray with her? You' was someone on this side as well. I'd love to just get someone to pray with you. Just slip up your hand. I'll get someone to pray with you. Someone who I trust. Wonderful. Daniel, would you pray with that gentleman there just behind you, the black? Yeah. Anyone else like someone to pray with them? We'll pray together. Let's pray out loud together, all of us together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Would you forgive my sins? Would you wash me clean? Would you make me new? And would you reconcile me with God? Would you make me your son, your daughter? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you lead me in the way of righteousness? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen.